Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Well, um, again, it's great to be together this morning and grateful to, to gather in a place to, to worship the Lord. And we're, we're, you guys are, I'm glad you're here because we have some people that are like out of town and traveling and some, there was a wedding this weekend, some people in our church. And so we've got people scattered all over the place. Um, but the good news is we are here together. So um, I was, as I was thinking about what I'm preaching about this morning, I was, I was like, writing it and preparing everything. Well, this morning, I was like, oh, okay, I now know my opening, like, what I need to start with. And it's this. I get really, really stressed out about recycling, okay? I'm all for it, and I do it. I do recycle things. But here's the deal. It's way more complicated than they make it out to be. They're like, okay, just put it in here. But then you're like, well, does this go in there, or does it not go? And then sometimes I'll just throw something away, and my kids are like, Dad, you have to rinse it out. And I'm like, it didn't tell me that part. Like you get, and so recycling, while people are like, yes, recycle, do it. It's easy. You should do it. I agree with that. It's far more complicated than that. And here's the thing. At church and in our faith and Christianity, we can make things far more, sound far more easy than sometimes they actually are in regular life. Right? So churches can do a dangerous thing. Like we can make it seem easy to follow Jesus. We can say, yeah, just follow him. Just trust him. It's all just, this is, yeah, it's just come to church, read your Bible, pray. It's all good, right? And yet in reality, what we find is that prayer can be really hard, can be a struggle. We can find it really hard to trust God when we don't know what the future holds. You may even come and say, I'm actually just completely skeptical about all of this. I don't even know if I believe it or agree with it. Or you may say, you know what, I struggle sometimes daily or sometimes every once in a while with just doubt. I don't know. God, where are you? What is all this? Am I missing something here? Am I forgetting something? These are the reality. And so it's one thing for us as a church or whatever to just say, hey, yeah, this is what you do. And, and, you know, in one sense, yeah, we look at God's word and we want to obey God. And there is a simplicity to our faith in that way. And yet in our daily lives, it can be far more complicated. And all of these things have to do with faith or unbelief. And so today, um, I actually have a title, right, a title for the sermon. And it's the battle of belief. Because there's a battle, a pull, a struggle, sometimes daily, between faith and unbelief in our lives. So today we're going to look at what happens when we live with unbelief and also when we live with faith. And I hope that it can translate into our everyday lives to see what does it look like when I live with faith and what's it look like when I live in unbelief. So the the question that I have today for you to be thinking about as we go is this, will you respond to God in faith or in unbelief? So how will you respond? As we continue our series this morning called Follow Jesus, we're studying through the book of Mark, and we've been working our way through the gospel of Mark, following Jesus as we go. When we look at the book of Mark, sometimes it's important to step back and remind ourselves, where does this fit? 
right? So the book of Mark is one of the four gospels, which is one of the four accounts of the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, it's the first part of the New Testament. And the gospel of Mark gives us the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and God's plan for redemption and restoration of all things to himself. So when we see, uh, we're going to read about this and hear about this this morning, and we already have as we've gone through Mark. But when we see Jesus healing people and doing miracles, what we're seeing is little bits and pieces of restoration happening that one day will be fully completed, that God's heart and plan is to redeem people. That's what we see in the book of Mark, that Jesus is God's plan for redemption, and one day all things will be restored to what God intended in the beginning. And we see in Mark that Jesus is our great and only hope, our redeemer, our restorer. Mark helps us see and helps us know how to follow Jesus. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 this morning. That will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can go there. If you need a Bible, right here at the back um, edge of the chairs here, there are English Bibles or French Bibles. You are welcome to those if you need one. And I think we have a few more of the Gospel of Mark on the, the Connect table back there. So you're welcome to those. And even if you need one now, you can awkwardly stand up and go get one. Yeah, that's the way it works. All right. You guys awake, you've had your coffee, is everybody with me, ready to go? Mark chapter 6. So, when we get into Mark chapter 6 here, once again, as in previous weeks, there's a lot happening in our passage. And up to this point, Jesus has been going from place to place, teaching, healing, um, performing miracles, and all these things. So today we're going to take a big picture view of the passage and look at two major themes. And the major themes are the danger of unbelief and the mystery of uh, faith. So as Jesus is fulfilling his mission of proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God, some people reject him and some people put their faith in him. We'll see the, we'll see the contrast between those two things. So we're going to jump right in in the verses 1 through 6 with the danger of unbelief. So let's read this together. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And it says this, he speaking of Jesus, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no, sorry, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. So what's happening here? Jesus, he's been teaching and preaching and healing and all these things, and it says he went on from there, and he goes to his hometown, and begins, which was Nazareth, and begins to preach in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which would have been a normal thing for him to do. This was his hometown, right? Everyone knew him, and he knew everyone, right? How many of you come from a pretty small place where if you go back there, you kind of know everybody and people know you? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. And probably if I went back to your hometown, you could tell stories about all these random people, and those people could probably tell stories about you, of like, oh, yeah, I remember when he did that in high school, and, yeah, he got in trouble for this, and she did that. Right? So 
we maybe would hear good things and maybe we'd hear bad things depending on where you're, what, you, what your hometown situation was. But so Jesus goes to his hometown. They hear him preach and they've heard all about these things that Jesus has been doing. They hear about the mighty work that he's been doing in, in the villages and places all around there. And really they are, it says, the scripture says they're astonished and they are amazed at what they are hearing. But they're skeptical. And they're standing back and kind of like crossing their arms and looking. They're like, what's happening here? Who is this Jesus? They're like, hey, we know this guy. It's Jesus, right? We grew up with him. We know his family. And they say, is this not the carpenter, right? They're kind of saying like, this guy made my cabinets and now he thinks he's the son of God. Like, what's happening here? We know who he is, right? We know his family. Who does he think he is? He comes in here saying he's the son of God, doing all these things, right? And verse 3 says, they took offense. And in, in the original languages in the Greek, it just kind of means like, whatever, right? That was supposed to be a joke. I'm going to pause right there and make sure you guys are awake, because that was funny, right? Um, no. They took offense. They're like, they're like, nah, we don't believe this guy. This is, we know Jesus. What's he doing here? And they took offense at him, and they are standing back saying, we are not going to believe who this Jesus guy is. And the next verse says, they couldn't get over him. And really, this is this idea, they're just kind of standing back, kind of rolling their eyes and being like, yeah, whatever, this is Jesus. Verse 5 says, he could do no mighty works there except that he healed a few. I am sure those few that he healed were like amazingly thankful that he healed them. But in general, Jesus goes into his hometown. People are not believing in him. They're not trusting him. They're like their hearts are hardened. And Jesus, it says he could do no mighty works there. Verse 6 says, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Like as in Jesus was like, I can't believe how much unbelief is happening here. And we think about this word unbelief. And it's this idea of being without faith, faithlessness, hardness of heart. They did not accept who Jesus was or who he was claiming to be. And Jesus could do, could do no mighty work there because of their un, unbelief. The hardness of heart of the people limited the work of Jesus. Now, it didn't limit the power or the ability of Jesus, but because of their doubt and because of their hardness, Jesus could not work. All through the book of Mark, we see that Jesus responds to faith. And here, there's no faith. The only skepticism and rejection of who Jesus is. This is the danger of unbelief. That God is not able to work in our hearts when our hearts are full of unbelief. We don't trust him. We think we know better. We think we don't need him. Right, this is what it looks like in our lives, this idea of unbelief. And we say, no, I've got it all figured out. I don't need you. Okay? Does anybody like to go camping? Or as Dylan calls it, glamping, you know, which is like the glamorous camping where you, like, make sure everything's comfortable, right? Um, so I recently went camping, and it was awesome. I really enjoy camping. I like, like, rustic camping. It's great. But part of camping is you need a campfire, right, to be able to cook and all that kind of stuff. So... Have you ever tried to light a campfire, to start a fire when all the wood is wet, right? It's really, really difficult, like almost sometimes impossible if you don't have a good way to get it started. Unbelief is like trying to light a wet campfire. The wet wood limits the ability of the fire. Unbelief 
creates the wrong conditions for the work of God in our lives. That unbelief is like that wet firewood that just can't, nothing's going to happen there. This idea of unbelief, it puts our hearts in the wrong condition for God to, to work in our lives. And in Jesus' hometown, the unbelief created the wrong conditions, and Jesus says he was not able to work there. So the question comes back to, will you respond to God in faith or in unbelief? And we have to ask ourselves. I was talking with Francois about uh, God that's part of our church. We were talking about this passage, and the first thing he said is, I don't know how I would have responded, right? If I was from Jesus' hometown, and he comes back, and I knew him, and I knew him growing up, and now he says he's the Messiah. We have to ask ourselves, how would we respond? If you are in your hometown and some guy comes back and says, hey, I'm the Messiah, you're like, you're crazy, right? That's, that's the way it was, but it had to do with their hearts. See, these people in Jesus' hometown, they were Jewish people who knew their history and knew that God was going to send a Messiah. So they were purposefully hardening their, hardening their hearts, saying, no, we believe that God's going to send a Messiah, but it's not you. It couldn't be you, right? How would you have responded had Jesus come? to your hometown? It's a tough question, but really it doesn't matter because it only matters of how we respond now, right? How will you respond to the work of God, to what Jesus wants to do in your life? And we have to say, what does unbelief look like in our lives? There's a few things that I kind of put down here and probably a whole lot that I didn't put down. But one thing I think unbelief looks like is unbelief looks, leads to a lack of prayer in our life. This is something we've talked about as a church. We don't pray because we don't believe in God's goodness or God's power. We can come up with a lot of excuses why we don't pray. Oh, I'm too busy, I get distracted, all these things. But at the very root of it, I believe it's unbelief. We don't pray because we don't believe in God's power, we don't believe in God's goodness, and we don't believe that we need him. Unbelief leads to a lack of prayer. Secondly, unbelief leads to self-reliance. We don't think we need him. And we, like a two-year-old, say, I can do it myself. And this is our attitude towards God. We, don't, we, we end up trusting in our own wisdom, our own intellect, our own strength. And unbelief leads us to say, I can do it myself. I'm reliant. I can depend on me. I don't need God. Third, unbelief leads to a very, very low view of God. Here's what I mean. It means that we don't actually believe that he is strong, that he's faithful, that he's trustworthy, God then becomes a distant figure in our minds. Maybe he's there, maybe not, but definitely not important. And because of that, we don't put our trust in him. Unbelief leads us to look at God and not see him in his greatness and his power the way that he truly is. We have a very low view of God. We don't put our trust in him, and why would we? Because we don't think he is as powerful as he is. And all of this, this lack of prayer, self-reliance, not, not seeing God and all his greatness. It leads to a stifled spirituality that might be religious on the outside, but it's not alive. And it's in that condition where Jesus cannot do many mighty works. And in our sinful unbelief, because our unbelief is sinful, it is rejection of God. It's saying, God, I don't need you. I'll take it myself. In our sinful unbelief, we harden our hearts, we say, God, we don't need you, and it leads to a spirituality 
that's dead, that's maybe religious, maybe looks good, but is not alive. This is the danger of unbelief. It keeps us from a thriving and growing relationship with God. So we're going to move quickly now into our next point. But as the passage continues, when you look further, and you could read this on your own sometime, Jesus then sends out his 12 disciples. He sends them out two by two. He says, go into all these villages, preach the gospel, proclaim. He gives them authority and power to heal and to cast out demons. And they go, and God does many mighty things. When you look at the next section, there's kind of this really separate section about John the Baptist. And what happens is King Herod, who was king at the time, he hears about all this stuff that's happening with Jesus and the way that he's working and healing people and his followers and all these things. And Herod says, what's happening here? Is this John the Baptist coming back to life and doing all these things? And they're like, well, some people say it's John the Baptist. Some people say it's Elijah or some other prophet. And then it gives us the story of how John the Baptist died. But as the story goes on, the, 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 Jesus' followers he sends them out, and in verse 30, they come back to Jesus, and they bring a report of all that had happened. That leads us into our second point, and it's this, the mystery of faith. So we have the danger of unbelief. Secondly, the mystery of faith. And in verses 30 through 44, I'm just going to kind of tell this story rather than reading it. Some of you might be familiar with it. Some of you may not. But it's the story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000. So the, the disciples come back from being out, sent out by Jesus, and they're worn out, and they all, they try to go somewhere to find some rest. But what Jesus has been doing has created quite a following, and people are, crowds are everywhere, and they're coming to hear from Jesus. And so they really can't get away from the crowds. They go to find some rest, but when they get there, the crowds are already there, right? Um, it's just like they are celebrities or something. But in verse 34, it tells us that Jesus... Even though he was worn out, and even though he was human, and he wanted some time to be with his disciples, he didn't get annoyed. He looks out on the crowd, and it says, when he, when, he, when he saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we see the heart of Jesus, the compassion, the love of Christ when he looks out on the crowd. But they're with this crowd, and it says they were out in a desolate place. There's not much around. And the disciples come and tell Jesus the people need to leave. They need to go somewhere because they don't have any food, and they need to go get food. It's getting dark and all of that. And Jesus, like, I think he's kind of messing with them a little bit. He says, you guys give them some food. And they're like, well, yeah, Jesus, but we don't have anything to give them. And they, like, make, I think, almost kind of like a joke. They're like, well, we have, like, one day's wages, but how is that going to feed 5,000 people, right? And Jesus says, okay, well, what do you actually have with you? What do you have there? And in different parts of the gospel, it says there was a boy there, and he had, he had five loaves of bread and two fish, right? That's enough for maybe like two or three people, right? But there's over 5,000 people. And Jesus says, okay, bring that to me. The disciples are confused. They're like, how is, what's happening here? What's going to, how's this going to work? Jesus takes the bread and the fish and says he breaks it and he blesses it and they begin serving it. They begin giving to the people and they feed Scripture says there were about 5,000 men, which doesn't include women and children and all of that. And they feed well over 5,000 people. And at the end, there are 12 baskets full of food left, right? I think it was just showing, it was like a really practical way to show the disciples that Jesus was like, look, see, I can provide. He had 12 disciples that each had their own like basket of food afterwards. 
The story continues, and it says they, the, the, the disciples get in a boat to leave from there to go the other side of this lake, and Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to take some time alone. I'll catch up with you, right? Jesus can see their boat, and it's, he, Jesus stays, stays behind to pray. The boat's going across the water, and they're having trouble because of the wind. They, just weren't, they were having issues getting across the lake. And this is a story where Jesus just begins to walk on the water. Like, what is happening here? Jesus is just walking across the lake, and they look out, and they see him, and they flip out. They think it's a ghost. They're like, we don't know what's happening, what's going on. And Jesus, in verse 50, he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. He gets in the boat, and the wind stops immediately. And I can imagine the disciples just kind of staring at him, right? They've just seen him multiply food and feed 5,000 people. And now they've seen him walk on water, climb in the boat, and the wind just, just stop. Let's read verse 53 through 56. It says, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as, as, many as touched it were made well. Let's look at the contrast here. Right? In the first two stories that we talked about here, the, the five feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water, it may not seem like we see faith happening here. But there is a difference between weak faith and no faith. In Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, people had no faith. What we see with the disciples is we see weak faith. And Jesus worked in the midst of that. The disciples, they did not understand all that was happening. But in the middle of that, they kept looking to Jesus. They kept obeying what he said to do. Find some food. Find, find, bring me what you have. And they kept saying, okay, we're going to give this to you. <clears throat> Their faith didn't appear to be like big and strong, and yet... God was at work. Then we look at verses 53 through 56, which we just read. What a contrast we see with the first account of Jesus' hometown. See, Jesus, they go across this lake, this area, this region called Genesaret. He gets there, and what we see is that people are coming from everywhere, and they're running around saying, hey, Jesus is here. They're running. They're coming to him. And it literally describes it as anyone who touches Jesus is healed. Anyone who had any kind of disease, all these issues, all these things, they're coming and everyone is being healed. This is way different than Jesus' hometown. This was not a wet campfire situation. This was different. This was like a campfire that is dry wood, a campfire ready to light. And Jesus was doing many, many mighty works in this atmosphere where there was faith instead of unbelief. We see a contrast. We see a difference between these two things. And what was the difference? The difference was faith. And this is a mystery, the way that God moves when there is faith. Let's talk about faith for a minute. Because in general, Jesus responds to faith. He heals people. He casts out demons. He does miracles where there is faith. And faith is vital. And at its core, here's what faith is. Faith is humility and desperation. Fully trusting that God is who he says he is. And that he's loving enough and strong enough to act on our behalf. Faith is just coming with just like this 
neediness and saying, I can't, but God, you can. This is faith, right? You've probably heard, maybe you heard before, the example of a chair. Like, if you get a chair, we trust ourselves to it because we believe that it's strong enough to hold us when we sit in it, right? It's an act of faith to sit in a chair. And faith works the same way with God. That Faith is saying, God, I believe who you are, that you are good enough and you are strong enough, and I can put myself, my trust on you. But at the same time, faith can be tricky. Because if we're not careful, we can think that faith is a way that we can control God, make him do what we think, what we want to do. Or we think, if I have strong enough faith, then God has to do it, whatever it is, right? Or if we say, my faith is too weak, God can't do it. Or my faith was too weak, that's why God didn't do whatever I was praying for, whatever I was asking for. But that's not how faith works. Because, listen, our faith is not in faith. I know that seems really simple, but our faith is not in faith itself. We can't control God by simply having more or stronger faith. Have you ever been in, like, in a situation, like maybe you're in a different country, somewhere where people were speaking a different language, and rather than like actually learning some words, you just talk louder, right? Or the person just speaks louder. My name is James, hello. And they're like, nothing, I still don't understand you, right? Faith doesn't really work like that. If it's just stronger, if it's just louder, if it's just better, that God will respond. But it doesn't work. Because our faith is not in faith itself. Our faith is in God. He is the object of our faith. An example we've talked about before with prayer, but it applies to faith as well. It's like a windshield, right? If you're driving and all your focus is on the windshield, you're going to have problems. You're going to run into something, right? But faith is like the windshield that we are looking through it to God. We are looking through that windshield to see God as the object of our faith. Our faith is in a God who is infinitely strong, infinitely able, and unexplainably kind and compassionate. If our faith, if my faith depends on me, if your faith depends on you, then we've got problems. But our faith is in God who is unchanging and strong. This is the mystery of faith. That it's the way that we approach God, but the power and the love and the work comes from him. The work of God, this is the mystery, right? Our faith has to be present. We have to be saying, God, I trust you. My faith is in you. And God works in those situations. And yet, it's not our work. It's not our effort. It's his. Because our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in God. It's, this is the mystery of faith, that it's our response to God. But the work and the power of God, sorry, but the work and the power is of God, not us. I think the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is a great example and a great picture of this mystery of faith. When you think about that story, what did Jesus do? Jesus took something small and very insignificant. And fish, which I don't even like, because fish is kind of disgusting sometimes, right? <laughs> Again, guess you guys are asleep this morning. Okay. Sorry if I offended you. If you are a fish lover, I am sorry, right? Um, no. But Jesus took something small and insignificant five loaves of bread, and two fish, and he did a miracle with that. It could barely feed, feed like five people, let alone 5,000, and yet Jesus did a miracle above and beyond what anyone imagined. Their faith 
may have been small, but when they stood back, they watched Jesus work and do something amazing. That faith in its smallness in our lives, when our, when our trust and our dependence is on God, it can seem small, it can seem insignificant, and yet we are able to stand back and see God work in powerful ways. So what does this mean for you and I? It means that God is looking for faith. And he works when we respond to him in faith. He doesn't always do it exactly what we think. He's smarter than we are, right? He doesn't always do what we think, but God responds to, to faith. So you may be sitting there this morning, you may, you may be thinking to yourself, yeah, I, just, I need to have stronger faith. I need to get better at this. I need to have more faith. But that's not the message because the essence of faith and belief is bringing our neediness and our imperfections to God and saying, I can't, but you can. This is the mystery of faith, that God works when we bring our weakness to him. And in our daily lives, when we face fear and uncertainty and anxiety and stress and the difficulties of life, it's in those situations that faith is choosing to believe what Jesus said to his disciples, which was this, when Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Faith in the middle of those, the stuff of life is being willing to say, I don't have all the answers, I don't know it, and this is really hard, but Jesus, my faith is in you, I'm looking to you, God, my hope is in you, I'm trusting that your word is true and that you are faithful. This is the weakness of our faith however weak or feeble it can feel, but to look to God and say, I'm trusting you. I'm depending on you today. I don't know the answers. I don't know what comes next, but I trust you. You can think about your own life. What is happening in your life right now? What are you facing? Where are you questioning God? Where are you doubting? I believe that Jesus would say to you this morning, take heart. Don't be afraid. And that act of faith and the mystery of faith is turning away from our self-reliance, turning away from that posture of saying, I've just got to be better. I've just got to figure this out. I've just got to work a little harder. I've just got to do a little better, and I'll get it all figured out. And it's turning away from that posture and just turning to God and saying, God, I can't, but I know that you're able and that doesn't feel strong, it doesn't feel mighty, but it's faith. And it's turning to God in our brokenness and our emptiness and saying, God, I need you. And the question this morning is, will you choose to put your trust in God? To put your trust in his word and his promises, because this is faith. Or will you live in unbelief, trying to run your own life? I think we have these two options in, our, in the way that we view God, the way that we interact with God is faith or unbelief. Will you respond to God in faith or in unbelief? So where are you today? Where are you in your own heart? As I prepared this, and even for a long time in my own heart, I have seen in my own heart areas of unbelief. We're all pray for things, but really if I'm honest, I'm probably standing back and saying, yeah, God's probably not gonna do that. 
I'm doubting that God will work in whatever it is that I'm praying for. Do you have places in your heart of unbelief? And it may be unbelief about all this and saying, I don't really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I don't really believe that God is who he says he is. I don't believe all of this. I'm curious about it. I'm interested, but I don't know that I believe it. And this is an area of unbelief. Or maybe you have followed Jesus for a long time, and yet there are areas where you are having a really hard time entrusting something to God of letting go of something, of saying, okay, God, I trust you. And it's unbelief that creeps into our hearts. Now, here's the good news. In a few weeks, we're going to look at Mark chapter 9, and there's a well-known kind of prayer there. There's a guy in Mark chapter 9. I'm not going to preach it right now because we got to save it, right? But he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And it's okay to be in that spot saying, God, I trust you. And in the places where I'm struggling, God, help me. That you may have unbelief that's creeped into parts of your heart and parts of your life where you're not fully willing to surrender something to God. You're not fully willing to say, God, I'm going to let you be in control. I'm going to trust my future to you. I'm going to trust my past to you. I'm going to trust the way that I live. I'm going to trust my finances to you. I'm going to trust my future, whatever it is. There may be unbelief in those places. Are you living with faith or are you living with unbelief? So what we see in the scripture today, that in the place where there was unbelief, Jesus did not do many mighty works. He couldn't work. But all throughout the rest of the story, especially the end what we read, where all these people are being healed, what we see is faith where Jesus is working in mighty and powerful ways. And it wasn't based on these, the great faith of these people, but it was based on the, the neediness of people recognizing that we don't know how it works, but we know we need Jesus. That's a good place for us to be. I don't know how it all works, but God, I know I need you, and I trust you. That Jesus wants to do mighty work in our city, in our church, in our lives. And are we responding to him in faith or in unbelief? Trusting in who he is. And God wants to work in our lives. When we talk about faith, it leads us to talking about the central message of scripture, which is the gospel or the good news. And faith is recognizing that we are broken and sinful. That we have rebelled against God and said, God, I'll do it myself. And it separates us from God. Our sin has separated us where we cannot know God. We cannot come into relationship with God. And yet the Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the Son of God sent to earth and he lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life on the cross. He was faithful to all that God called him to do. And Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but he rose from the dead, conquering death. And it's through Jesus, and only through Jesus, that we can come into a relationship with God. We can't know God because of our own good effort. We can't know God because we've cleaned our lives up, because we've got it all figured out. We know God through faith. The Bible says that when we come to him in faith and repentance, turning away from our sin, turning away from our self-reliance, we put our faith in him. And the Bible says that salvation is by grace 
through faith. It doesn't say salvation is by grace and working really hard and doing a really good job. It's by grace through faith, coming to God in our weakness, recognizing I cannot fix myself. Jesus, would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you make me new and make me alive and bring me into relationship with God? This is what God extends to us. This is the love that he has for you, that he invites you in whatever situation you're in to put your trust in him and say, God, would you take my life? I trust you. You may need to do that this morning for the first time. There may be people here that need to say, I need to put my, my faith in Jesus. And it's not this like weird, like some sort of like new agey, like, okay, I just have faith. It's faith in who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he has given his life died on the cross to pay for our sins and that he is the only way to God. And we say, Jesus, put my faith in you. I don't understand how it all works, but I put my faith in you. You may need to do that this morning. You may need to recognize again that unbelief is sin. And you may need to come to a point where you say, God, would you forgive me? Would you, can I confess that sin? Can I turn away from that and those places in my life where I'm living with unbelief and not trusting God? What does God need to do in your heart this morning? As we think and as we respond and as we worship here in a moment, you'll have time to think and reflect on this. Maybe, like I said, maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you need to say, I don't, I don't think I've ever come to the point where I've released control and said, Jesus, would you come and forgive me of my sin and make me new? You may need to do that today. Maybe you need to wrestle with those areas of unbelief in your life. You need to say, God, would you forgive me? Would you give me the grace and help me to have faith? To bring that faith as weak as it may be, but to say, Jesus, my faith is in you.